Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. So would you help me give a warm Bethel welcome to Dr. Chris Johnson as he comes to share the word with us. Amen, amen. Come on, that's all right for me. But can somebody give God a hand clap of praise here? Come on, this is the day that the Lord has made. So let us do what? Rejoice and be glad in it. Come on, I'm gonna give us about 10 more seconds. Come on, let's just set this house on fire with praise, with worship. Come on, I serve a God that is worthy to be praised. Come on, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. You may be seated for a moment. I am so delighted to be here with you all. And I know I'm a stranger to most but you all are not strangers to me, uh, as I consider myself extended uh, family. Uh, yes, within the Every Nation context, but Pastor James and Debbie Lowe, they are just dear friends and mentors for me and my wife. And so in their absence, I do want to honor them. Can we thank God for great leaders? And uh, so I'm grateful at Pastor James you know, I, I, I started to, I, I was messing with him and I was like, you know, if I get up there and I sing a little bit, people might think I'm you because we're both black, bald-headed and bearded. Uh, in case y'all did not know, I am. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> but he's, he's a little bit older than me and a little bit taller than me and he can sing better than me. And uh, so uh, I'm not going to try to manipulate the body of Christ like that. Um, as Pastor Dave Ward, uh, Dr. Dave, as I uh, grew to know him as a homiletics professor, and uh, I'm a dear friend and colleague, mentor, and encourager, uh, so grateful for him as well. Uh, I did not come by myself. My, my lovely bride and my family is with me. Um, Lady J, Sherelle Johnson, babe, can you raise your hand? And I do have a picture of my family uh, because these are the most important people in my entire life. Um, they make me better, uh, and they are also part of my sanctification process. But we are affectionately known as the CJ Squad. Um, the pretty, my pretty mini Chloe. She's ten years old, uh, and she's a boss. And uh, just, I'm, I'm just delighted to see what God's going to do in her life. And then you have Chip, uh, who is uh, our firstborn son, middle son, Christopher Mark Johnson Jr., Chip off the old block. Uh, he is my namesake, thinks like me, great thinker. Here's the type of stuff. Chip is eight years old, but last year one time he came up to me. He said, Daddy, he said, Daddy, are we, are we Gentiles? What seven-year-old even knows the word Gentiles? let alone is going to ask us. And then lastly, uh, Caleb, uh, who is three years old, uh, he's his own vibe. We're still figuring out all of what he's going to be, uh, but he's full of joy and absolutely love him. 
Uh, as Pastor Dave said, I do bring you greetings from Divine Unity Community Church, which is in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And uh, I watch Bethel probably every week as well, even sometimes your midweek service. And I watch it between my services. And like I said, I might be a stranger to you, but you all are not strangers to me. So I'm glad to be among family. And because I feel like I'm among family. Is it okay if I preach like I'm at home? Is that okay? Great, because I'm, I'm going to need your help. I believe participation is better than observation. And so it's not just my sermon. At some point, the words will no longer be the words that I'm saying. Hopefully, there'll be words that are giving birth to something in your heart or that connects with you. And then we all together, we're going to go somewhere together. I believe we are better together, and we're going to go somewhere together in the Lord. Amen? Amen. So let's go to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Uh, I'm going to read verses 21 through 24, and then I'm going to skip to verse 34 and 35 because there's a story in between the story, and I closed that gap for us there. So Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, uh, and I'm, I'm going to read the word. And, and like I said, participation better than observation. If you don't mind, I would ask that you would rise to your feet and stand with me while we read the word of God. This is your way of participating in the sermon. If you don't participate, any other time, and you can go brag to your friends and your family and say, you know what, I helped preach today. They'll look at you like you're so much more holy or either crazy, but it depends. All right, let me keep going. All right, so Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, then we're going to skip to verse 35 and 30, uh, 34 and 35. And the word of the Lord reads like this from the English Standard Version. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him, Jairus implored Jesus, earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Verse 24, and he went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Now, what's going to happen in between these verses here is there's a woman that's going to come out of that crowd that's going to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. She's going to be healed. Jesus is going to stop, talk to her, and say, woman, by your faith, you have been made well. And let's pick up at verse 35. Verse 35, and it says this, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. While you're waiting on God to move and it seems like things went from bad to worse. Is there anybody in here that has found themselves in that position? And watch how Jesus responds to this news in verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Uh, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, uh, don't stop believing. Okay, that neighbor did not have big faith. So I want you to look at your second favorite neighbor. Or find somebody that looks like they have some faith. Just look at them. And look at them and say, neighbor, don't stop believing. Amen. You may be seated. Don't stop believing. Listen, that's one title for my sermon today. The other title for my sermon today that I think would be able to help us uh, is The Pace of Revival. The Pace of Revival. I believe that the Lord is calling us into a season of revival. 
And I believe that we have to tap into the pace in which Jesus has for us. And I believe Mark chapter 5 models to us the pace of revival that helps us keep believing. Let us pray one more time. Jesus, we thank you. Your word is alive. It is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, as we are gathered here today, I believe that people are here today and some of them are hurting and they need your help. Some people are dealing with diseases. Some people are dealing with dilemmas. But God, we know that you can handle all of those things. So God, for those who are weakened, may they be strengthened. For those who are confused, may they receive clarity. For those who are discouraged, may they receive courage. Uh, For those who are lost, may they be found. Lord, I'm believing you want to do something in here today that's beyond what I can do and beyond what this church can do. So Lord, we just create the space collectively together, a space of faith that you can move in. So God, we thank you. As I preach, may the words in my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. The pace of revival. Um, a little something about me. I am what my wife calls a, uh, a, a fast walker. What I mean by this is my wife, um, she's taller than me, so I married up, praise God. I married up. I told her when we got married, I said, babe, you know, on the wedding day, don't wear heels because it's going to look like you're kissing your nephew when they say you may kiss your bride. I ain't want her to say, I love you. I ain't want her to kiss me on my forehead. That would be a little awkward. Um, <laughs> so her legs are longer than mine. But my wife, she likes when she's walking, it's about the moment. She, like, she, she talks and she looks at things and she pauses. Me, when I walk, it's kind of like the speed walker. I just didn't put the hips in it. Y'all, like, I'm, but I'm moving. I like to get where I'm supposed to get to right on time. Is there anybody that's with me that just like, when you walk, it's a, okay, all right, all right, got it. That sounds like the majority, so thank y'all for helping my marriage. <laughs> and so with this idea, like, I am, I am a fast-paced individual. Like, I like to get things done as, as, as quick as possible. It's all about efficiency. And if you understand anything about me, or maybe this might be you, like, it gets on my nerves when people are on the highway and they're driving the speed limit in the passing lane. Is, is there anybody else? Now, now listen, don't blame, the, don't blame the preacher if you get a speeding ticket. I'm just saying it get on my nerves. How about when the, how about when the, when, when you have a bunch, you go to the grocery store and you have a, a bunch of cash registers with few cashiers and lines along and people want to use a coupon that the barcode does not work and you are standing in line and the only thing you wanted was a frozen pizza and, and, and your favorite simply apple, apple juice. It, and it, it just gets on your nerves. Have you ever looked at people if, as if they would, their existence was in your way? I know we all compassionate, but we all been in those moments that you want everything to move a little bit faster in which it is. Don't tell, I'm telling you, if you really want to see somebody get upset, let them be ready to watch their favorite show on a streaming outlet and the internet. Y'all think that you're not in a hurry. Let that internet be slow. Mm-hmm. Or let that cell phone be slow. See, I, when I came up when people had cell phones, one, they were about this size anyway. But, it, you know, can you hear me now? You're trying to find the signal. We don't like things to move slow when we're trying to move fast. We just don't like it. And what I realize is that much of our life and our culture is so fast-paced that we're constantly living in a place of hurry. One of the best books I've read in the last few years is John Mark Comer's book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. 
And in this, he introduces this thought of hurry sickness. Hurry sickness is a behavior pattern, a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. It's when a person feels chronically short of time and tends to perform every task faster to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. I don't know if that registers with anybody, but I know I am at the worst version of myself when I am in a hurry. Now, I have three kids. They're beautiful. Those little DNA carriers, like I said, they're also part of my sanctification process. Because when I'm trying to get them in the vehicle, when we're trying to leave, it is like trying to wrangle cats. And if we're in a hurry, I'm not the loving, fun dad that I like to be. It's like everything do right now. And I didn't realize how much I said hurry up until I had toddlers. When you have a toddler, hurry up. Come on, come on, hurry up. Come on, come on. And you can find yourself constantly living in this level of angst to the point even when you have time, you feel like you have no time. Am I registering with anybody in the house today? Some of us, even when you sit down in a place, the one of the first questions that you begin to ask is how long will this take? If you ever get impatient in a doctor's office versus thinking how long this would take, maybe start praying for the people that, is, that, that needs the time. Because when you're in a hurry, you don't have compassion. Here's, here's what another person said. Hurry is a form of violence on our soul. That when hurry sickness is there and, and where hurry sickness first came from, it came from a cardiologist after noticing that most of his at-risk cardiovascular patients displayed a hurrying sense of urgency. And so the, a cardiologist began to recognize a pattern of people dealing with cardiovascular disease. Often it did not stem from their diet, but it stemmed from their watch. And so many times, time becomes our greatest enemy or either the greatest kryptonite to our faith. Because I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you need God to move a little bit faster. Uh, what I realize is life happens fast. Uh, I know this is not proper English, but I believe it is proper sentiment. Life be lifing. Come on. This means that sometimes things are happening. It's like as soon as you're on your up, it's like you take five steps forward, but you get knocked seven steps backwards. Life happens fast. You know, it only takes maybe one phone call, one text message, one email to turn your whole entire emotional availability and health to flip it upside down. And when we find ourselves in this place of hurry and this place of anxiety, the fact of the matter is that many of us, we're living in a state of emergency. And I figured as we're talking about trying to find a pace that will encourage our faith and not eat away at our faith, that the scriptures actually gives us a really good example of what this looks like in Mark chapter 5. Uh, there was a Japanese theologian, um, uh, a, Japanese, a Japanese theologian who came up with this concept of the three mile an hour God. The three mile an hour God, three mile an hour is the average pace in which people walk. Unless you're like me, I like to get it, I like to get it about four and a half miles an hour. But for the average, it's about three miles an hour. And he said the three mile an hour God gives us this concept that Jesus lived and ministered at a pace of three miles an hour. He changed the world, introduced the kingdom, and brought people out of darkness into the marvelous light at a pace of three miles an hour. And if God could take his time in redeeming the world, maybe we could take our time in spending with the Redeemer. 
that if God is not in a hurry, then the question is, why are we? Because sometimes what we feel makes us forget what he said. Sometimes what we feel begins to disrupt what we believe. And we've all been in these places. In Mark chapter 5, we see another example of while Jesus is just along the way. So much of Jesus' ministry happened just along the way. While Jesus was walking, something happened. While Jesus was walking, there was a beggar. While Jesus was walking, there was a funeral procession. While Jesus was just at a wedding, something happened. And it shows that because Jesus moved at a unique pace, it gives us an opportunity to read stories called the Gospels 2,000 years later because Jesus wasn't in a hurry. Jesus could have did all the work that he did in three years, but he lived for 33 years. What did he do for the first 30 years? He helped us find a pace of revival. That he learned how to connect with us. He learned how to endure temptation. He learned how to deal with disappointment. And then the last three years as he introduced this ministry, he's saying that he's a subject matter expert on our human existence. And so he begins to not only give the solution, but be the solution. In Mark chapter 5, we have a few stories that happen. I do encourage you to read it in your own time. But we see in Mark chapter 5, it's a chapter full of revival. Jesus deals with demons, disease, and death. And it's all while he's walking along the way. Before Instagram was out, he didn't have a blue check. He didn't go viral. He just was moving along the way. So when people are chasing me and trying to, and trying to chase uh, accolades and influence, you got to remember, Remember, Jesus did it in a slower way, but it lasted longer. In Mark chapter 5, the story that I want us to focus on this morning is Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, and it opens up in verse 21. It says that when Jesus had crossed again into the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. In verse 22, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him, and asking Jesus earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and Lay your hands on her that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. The first, the first point in my pace of revival today is the request for revival. The request for revival. Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came to Jesus and requested Jesus' power and presence to be with him. Uh, it has been said that a life of unasked prayers is a life of unanswered prayers. That many of us, we're wondering, why am I not seeing God move in my life? One, maybe because you have not asked him to move in your life. Uh, or two, you're not paying attention to where he is moving in your life. That we often treat the goal of our prayer is to get a product from Jesus, but I realize the goal of our prayer is to be in the presence of Jesus. So Jairus makes a request. Now watch this, you got to see Jairus because Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue, which means he's part of the religious elite. And if you know anything, Jesus had more conflict with the religious, with the religious elite than he did the broken, poor, busted, and disgusted people. 
It was the people that had social and religious influence that Jesus had issue with and a ruler of the synagogue. Remember, a ruler of the synagogue, this same ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, this means he's part of the people that eventually signed the, signed the papers for Jesus to be crucified. So what we're seeing is a moment of reconciliation between people groups. Jairus comes in a place of desperation, but watch how he comes to Jesus. Uh, and this is one thing, when you make your request, I believe this gives us some descriptive and prescriptive ways in how to approach Jesus. You look at Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. I want to make sure you get this, ruler of the synagogue, a person of influence and affluence, and watch how he approaches Jesus. It says that he came and he fell at the feet of Jesus. He took off all of what he had made himself to be. He took off all of what culture had made him to be. And the picture of Jairus is not a one of entitlement, but it's one where Jairus comes and he kneels down at the feet of Jesus. See, this is the posture of desperation and expectation. Jairus falls to his knees. And not, and this is uncommon because if Jesus is considered an enemy of the state or an enemy of the synagogue, for Jairus as a ruler to kneel down, it's like he took all of his social influence and influence and laid it at the feet of Jesus. What I realize is sometimes it's hard for us to kneel before Jesus because we're comparing ourselves to Jesus versus being redeemed by Jesus. And so we'd rather prove ourselves to Jesus versus submit ourselves to Jesus. Jairus, in a moment of desperation, he's on his knees. I do believe this, that when we kneel before Jesus, we'll be able to stand before anything else. I am in the place of, I want to see a Christian formation revolution that our posture reflects what we need. In other words, we've gotten so good at being, at being who we are that we are trying to be who we are without Jesus. But if we learn to kneel down, I'm not saying you got to kneel for 30 minutes every day. But there should be a moment where at least the posture of your heart is saying, Lord, here I am. I lay down all of me to all of you. Jairus bowed down at the feet of Jesus. You'll see this later on too because as Jesus goes through this crowd in just a few moments, this woman with the issue of blood, she has to crawl or either has to be low enough to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. We don't know if she crawled through the crowd or if she got there and knelt down and got sturdy. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, if she knelt down and, and, and touched the hem of his garment, but what we do know when Jesus responded to her, that she fell to her knees too. Family, I hope we get something. That when you see people who are desperate for Jesus throughout the Gospels, that you'll see that there's a common posture of kneeling down. Where is the church that finds themselves kneeling down? Where are the believers that find themselves kneeling down? We look too good. We've accomplished too much. His posture, he wasn't, he didn't come to Jesus out of entitlement. He came to Jesus out of humility. His prayer after his posture was, Jesus, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well. See, I, I like this moment that Jairus, uh, a, a religious elite person, um, for him to ask Jesus to heal his daughter uh, was for him to realize that the law and all of his religious efforts were not good enough without Jesus. 
maybe we're Jairus today. Did you know that people could come in and have church and Jesus not be present? Oh, yeah, because it's real easy. Here it is. Here's your rundown. Uh, Come in, have some good lights and have some good musicians and some good music. Make it loud enough, not too loud. Have some lights move, not too much. And sing three songs, hit a refrain, whatever's popular out there right now. And then hope three people and say, lift your hands and people feel good. And then you have somebody up here that get up there and talk and they leave. We could do all of that without Jesus. The difference is when Jesus is involved that you don't leave the same way you came in. That's it. Because we can have a form of godliness but deny his true power. And what we see in Jairus is a conversion moment because he had the form of godliness but he was missing the power. So his request was not for a new form. His request was for power and presence. He didn't only ask, hey, come heal my daughter. He didn't didn't only say heal my daughter. He said, can you come to my house? And sometimes things don't change in us until we're willing to invite Jesus into our lives. He didn't bring his daughter to Jesus, which you can do that. He brought her to him through intercessory prayer. But what, she, what he did that I think is viable, that as we leave church, that we don't just leave here without Jesus. Jesus is omnipresent. I want us all to take Jesus back to our homes, to our apartments, to our townhouse, to our job, to our location, vocation, recreation, and tribulation. That you should leave here and hoping, no, I want Jesus to go with me. As he prayed, he prayed a bold prayer. He made a bold request for revival. Come heal my daughter. I want to park there just for a moment uh, because if you hear this and your faith is not being stirred and you're not thinking about a specific situation, you're going to miss the point of this message. If Jairus is asking for Jesus to touch his sick daughter who's 12 years old, who has not had a chance to live life the way he hoped to see his daughter live life, it's a situation. He said, come lay hands on her so she don't die. Uh, If you are not thinking about a situation that's on the deathbed right now, if you're not thinking about a situation where you need Jesus to touch, you're going to miss the point of this message. So it's not just Jairus' daughter that is laying sick. You have a marriage that's sick. You have a prodigal child that is sick. You have something that's going on in your life, and if Jesus don't touch it, it's going to go away. If you are not thinking about that thing right now, you're still standing up. But those who have a desperate situation right now, you're already thinking, if he can touch Jairus' daughter, hopefully he can touch my situation. Is there anybody here that got a sick situation? situation that needs a present savior to show up and so now the issue is not that Jairus does not doubt Jesus's power and I love what Mark 5 24 says and if you read this you'll miss it Mark 5 24 says and after Jairus made this request and he Jesus Jesus went with him I want you to understand that Jesus is with you That'll preach all about Jesus is with, okay? When you wake up Wednesday morning and you have already run out of energy and it's not yet Friday, I need you to remember, if Jesus walked with Jairus, surely he can walk with me. That he is with you. Matter of fact, if I was you, I'd wake up Monday morning and before I pray anything, I said, Jesus, you're with me. And I thank you. I don't know what's before me, but I know who is with me. You don't, y'all almost got it. Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. He is with you, family. And he went with him. He went with him. So many of us feeling alone. You're shedding tears that you think nobody else sees or feels. 
But Jesus went with him. He's with you. This is why the Bible would say he draws near to the brokenhearted. This is why the Bible would say weeping may endure for the night. This is why the Bible says that he knows he can empathize, sympathize with us in all manners of weakness because he is with us. But the issue, the issue, the issue is now not the power of Jesus, not the presence of Jesus. The issue is the pace of Jesus. So remember, he goes at three miles an hour. Jairus has a 55 miles an hour problem. There's an illness that is progressing in his daughter. And Jesus doesn't change his pace. This is the part when I almost think Jesus is a little rude. Because your emergency does not change his urgency. Because what you think is an emergency is just another moment for him. And Jesus still moves at three miles an hour. How do we know this? Mark 5, 24. And it says, and the crowd followed him and thronged about him. Which means Jesus walked slow enough for the crowd to keep up with him. Jesus didn't even pull a forest gump. I felt like running. Remember Forrest was running? And other people said, what you running for? I don't know. And they just kept running with him. Running all around the country. Then Forrest just stops. I'm done now. Jesus wasn't even running. But it's interesting that even as people follow Forrest to nowhere, people are looking for somebody to follow. Maybe your request for Jesus' presence is going to give people an opportunity to follow Jesus too. Oh, yeah. In other words, Jairus had come to my house, which means as Jesus was walking with Jairus, other people had a chance to walk with Jesus. So long before Jesus walked with Kanye, <laughs> Jesus walked with Jairus. <laughs> And because Jairus, catch this, because Jairus asked Jesus to be present in his tribulation, it gave other people opportunity to walk with Jesus. I know I said it once. I know I said it twice. Let me say it a third time because you're going to get it. When you make a request of Jesus, it's an opportunity for somebody else to see Jesus working in your life. Uh huh. And sometimes your witness is not what you know. Your witness is who you're seeking. And when people see you in the middle of hell and hot water turn to Jesus, and they say, if you could turn to him, maybe I might be able to turn to him too. And so many times we only want to share what we have accomplished versus where we are hurting. Don't you know that the greatest common language for our human existence is our suffering? Some people need to see you suffer because faith untested is faith that cannot be trusted. So now Jairus, walking with Jesus, is giving the crowd an opportunity to see how Jesus shows up. Maybe this is Jesus walking with you into the oncologist appointment. Maybe this is Jesus walking with you into the surgery room. Maybe this is Jesus walking with you while people see you in the unemployment line. I know it's virtual, but they know you're putting in applications. Maybe this, is, maybe this is somebody seeing you in the worst situation that you thought you could be in, yet still holding on to Jesus. One person said, when we share our accomplishments, we create competition. When we share our struggles, we create community. And one thing that weakens the church is that we come here to try to show people where we won, not where we're warring. So now the people can follow Jesus because Jesus 
has been requested by Jairus. Prayer is a witnessing tool. It, it gives people opportunity to see you depending and believing that God is able. So now the story continues, and, and again, the problem is not Jesus' power, not Jesus' presence. The problem is Jesus' pace for me. While Jesus is walking, because the crowd can follow him, in our, in our day and age, if I invited Jesus, I'm sitting in a black SUV, putting him in the back seat, tenant windows, nobody's going to be with him. Facts. The crowd walking with Jesus, and in the crowd, somebody has an opportunity to exercise faith. And this woman comes and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Cool, we still fine because we're still moving. But then Jesus feels virtue leave his body and stops, turns around, and asks the question, who touched me? There's a few people that think Jesus is tripping right now. The disciples said, hey, there's a lot of people around you. What do you mean who touched you? Now, my imaginative exegesis says Jairus is probably thinking something like this. Dude, what are you doing? I made the request while you're stopping. Have you ever been talking with somebody or either on the phone with them and you didn't know that y'all got disconnected? It's the worst when you figure it out and you don't open up your heart. He's like, yeah, man, I just, I, I never told anybody this ever in my life. <sighs> when I was six. Mm, my phone vibrating. Hello? Yeah, I didn't hear the. What, what did you, I, didn't, I got cut off. What was the last thing that you heard me say? I heard you say that you went to the store. Lord, I done opened up my whole childhood and we disconnected. Look at this. It's the worst. You walk with somebody, they stop. Excuse me. Jesus stops, turns around, speaks to this, and speaks to this woman. Not only did he stop, he could have said, oh, great, you healed, great. But he says, who touched me? Then the woman comes, falls at the knees of Jesus, falls at the feet of Jesus, and then Jesus has a conversation with her, and he says, woman, by your faith, um, you have been made well. Now, if I'm Jairus, and I have a scarce, if I'm Jairus, and I have a scarcity mindset of Jesus' power, I'm thinking this woman has stole my blessing. Have you ever prayed for something, waiting on a miracle, and you see somebody else getting a miracle, and they didn't even ask like that? Like, why they get the new job? They was already being paid well. They didn't even need a new car. This person been sleeping with everybody, and they still got a husband before me. I knew, I knew I'd get in the house at some point, Pastor Bryson. People, all right, okay, here we go. Y'all clean it up. I ain't gonna be here next week. <laughs> but watch this. This woman had an issue of blood which made her religiously impure, which means she won't supposed to be around people. And Jairus being a ruler of the synagogue, seeing Jesus care for this woman that should have been cast out of the community, is now going to shape, is now going to shape Jairus' faith that Jesus cares about those that we forget about. And because Jairus has a 12-year-old little girl that most people don't care about, He's now seen Jesus heal, and watch what Jesus says to this woman when you read Mark chapter 5. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. <laughs> daughter, your faith has made you well. So now Jairus, here's Jesus, healed his own daughter so that Jairus can have faith that Jesus can heal his daughter. Jesus does not waste words. And so now Jairus sees this moment. And many times when we're living hurried and anxious, we begin to blame God's pace. We begin to look at his pace as a lack of power. 
And so we begin to think he didn't move yet, which means he can't move. No, because watch what happens. The longer Jesus takes to get to Jairus' house, the longer Jairus has a chance to fellowship with Jesus. Uh, can I be real for a moment? Some of y'all didn't read your Bible and pray intensely until you was in an intense situation. And so this is why the Bible says count it all joy because that's when you believe the most and you grow the most right there. And so in this moment, Jairus gets a chance. Here's a miracle that we miss in this story. Yes, the woman with the issue of blood is healed. Later on, we'll see Jairus' daughter be touched by Jesus. But here's a miracle that we miss, the fellowship with Jesus. And maybe you're asking for an escape plan while Jesus is trying to give you a development plan. And you think he left you there to destroy you, but he left you there to develop you. That while you're with him in this moment, you're going to grow exponentially in a way that if he would have did it quickly, you would have forgot that he did that miracle and went on asking for the next. And so now, here's the moment. Y'all, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Y'all go get brunch, whatever y'all do here in Nashville, play music. I don't know. <laughs> And so, so now Jesus, now watch this, while this woman is being healed, while this woman is being healed, there's news that comes, and this is how life does us uh, sometimes. You're seeing a miracle one place, and your situation gets more messy. While J- Jairus is seeing this woman being healed, and then somebody comes from Jairus' house and say, your daughter has died, leave the teacher alone. And there are lies, and there are people who are trying to tell us to leave Jesus alone because our situation has gotten so bad. You got to begin to listen to Jesus in the midst of this. Jesus overhears what they say, and he says, don't fear, only what? Believe. It's an old school song. Don't stop, believe. Okay, y'all don't know this song. Like, you got to keep on believing. That song wasn't just some pop rock song. That was was a song that was supposed to capture our faith. That every time we have the temptation to stop believing, that we would hear this whole word, don't stop believing. And I want to encourage somebody. It might seem like it's getting worse, but don't stop believing. I got to say this. Listen, Jesus allowed a bad situation to get worse because he needed to expand Jairus' faith. Jairus thought for sure Jesus could heal his daughter. Jairus did not know that Jesus could raise his daughter. So he let the disease run its course so he can display more power. And so Jesus now goes forward. He leaves the crowd behind, only takes with him James, John, and Peter and the mother of, and the mother of this daughter and Jairus into the room because when Jesus said this girl is just sleeping, they laughed at him. There are people that are laughing at your faith right now. You're believing you're going to be sober. You're believing you're going to be debt free. You're believing you're going to be reconciled. You're believing that you're going to be free and, and, and from all things that have been oppressing you and people and lies are laughing at you. What did Jesus do with the crowd that laughed? at them, he put them out. And maybe you need to do a little rearrangement of your prayer closet. Not everybody needs to be there. Not every voice needs to be there. You need to begin to put things out that's laughing at your faith. And so Jesus walks in into this moment and he grabs the little girl, Mark 5, 41, taking her by the hand. He said to her, to Lethe Kume, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. 
for she was 12 years of age. The woman had an issue for 12 years. This woman and this little girl was only 12 years of age. 12 is the number of authority. So what you see is Jesus flexing his authority in the midst of the tribulation. And it says, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Jesus reached out and touched this little girl's hand and said, little girl, arise. Family, that is the word that I want you to leave here with, that whatever has been laid dead, whatever has been seeming that it has gone to the worst, that I hear the words of Jesus saying, arise. This is now the speech of revival. It's time for what you thought that God could not do to now be possible because when I hear the questions of the gospel, it is, is there anything in possible for God and I want to encourage somebody that is something worth waiting on to wait on Jesus that while you're going through his promises says all things work together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose you gotta wait on Jesus Isaiah 40 31 but those who wait on the Lord they shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like an eagle they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not be Thank you gotta wait on Jesus. Noah waited on God and he was saved. Abraham waited on God and he was saved. Moses waited on God and he was saved. Meshach, Shach, Rack, and Abednego waited on God and there was a force in the fire. Is there anybody in here that said, I'm gonna wait on Jesus? He might not come when I want him. He'll be there right on time. I'm gonna wait on Jesus. If he can take nails in his hands and nails in his feet. I'm going to wait on Jesus. Somebody shout, I'm waiting on Jesus. I'm waiting on Jesus. And Jesus, he moves into the situation. And he says, little girl, arise. I came here to speak to somebody hope. I came to speak to somebody faith. It's time for it to get up. Some of us have given up in believing in God. You've given up in believing that he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ask, think, or imagine. I want us to claim the promises of God today. That the work he's begun, he is faithful and he's able to complete it. Somebody put their hands together for the Lord today. Come on, if you're believing for something, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Come on, can we lift up our voice in here? Let's set an atmosphere of expectation. We're not willing, we're waiting. Hallelujah. We were all like that little girl, dead in our sins. And Jesus at the right time, through 42 generations, entered into our sick situation. He touched us. Through his blood, he touched us. That we might be able to rise and live again. Family, we are alive in Christ. And also, not only do you have salvific faith, but I believe the Lord wanted to inspire some situational faith today. What is it that you're believing for? What is it that you're hoping for? I want to pray for us today, so get that thing in mind. Get that thing in mind. Whatever it is, we're about to pray, and we're going to pray full of faith. 
We're going to pray full of faith. And we're going to request revival today. We're going to request God to move. We're going to request God to touch us in these hurting places, in these, in these deathly places. Father, we thank you now. God, we believe that you are with us. We believe that you are able. So God, here's what we're going to do. God, we're, we're going to make a bold request. We're going to make a bold request. And I'm not, as a matter of fact, family, I'm not going to do it on your behalf. I want you to begin to pray. Can we begin to pray out loud? Whatever it is you're asking God for. Come on. Whatever, you, whatever you're asking God for, make it, make it known now. Make your request known to God. Cast all your cares upon him. Come on, believe it. Come on, I hear whispers of faith. Lord, we're believing for miracles, signs, and wonders. This house shall be a house of prayer. This house shall be a house of prayer. Father, I declare now, God, and agree by faith that you are working and you are moving and that it's not too late yet. In Jesus' name.